Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am P.S. McKay, kicking myself for not ordering Execute Episode 66 two episodes ago. It was a true missed opportunity. You will not fail me again. <laughs> Or you failed me for the last time, Starscream. <laughs> Literally, yes. It led the, our last episode, I when I was thinking about different intros, I was like, oh, no. I already, we already did episode 66. This is not going to work. Yeah. So then I thought. Ep, ep, Reorder, execute. It. <laughs> Reorder it. I could probably edit it, right? Do Execute it. episode 67. Do it! <laughs> Again, big missed opportunity having not having Ian McDermott do Mountain Dew commercials. Oh my god. Do it. Because he's very... <laughs> it's, it's very... You, the sound. Is yeah. Very... No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, and you are? I am DT Catman, and I get to take a, a long weekend. <laughs> much deserved for you, I must say. How much do you want to share about it? Anything or no? None. Just four days of bliss? Four days of bliss. Not here. Yeah. Not dealing with all the garbage I deal with in life. Quite literally. Um... But it's, it'll be a nice change of pace for you to take your family out in a different scenery and everything. Even though, what, didn't they just move in like two months ago? Yes, but we've, you know, most of our free time has been revolving around putting the house together. So right. we're <laughs> taking true. time out. How far along are you on that? Well, most of the rooms are complete with the exception of wall hangings. The guest room needs work, and the basement de definitely needs work, but I'd say we're about 85% complete of all the major shit. First of all, that is great. I, I appreciate the progress you've made. We, As well you should, my friend. <laughs> we still have boxes that we have not unpacked in the garage. Uh, since I moved into this house 13 years ago. And yeah, we, well, we still have a bunch of pictures that we haven't hung up yet. They're lined up. They're waiting to be put up. But no. I'd be lying if I said that we unpacked every box after every move. But there's occasionally times where we, we've moved and we've opened boxes. And like, we haven't opened this box in like two moves. What's <laughs> yeah. in here? And then, and you're like, and you're like, when you when you see the box before you open it, you're like, hmm, I could throw this out now and not miss anything. But then you open it and you go, oh wow, here's where it went. I love this stuff. <laughs> and then you you would you would kill yourself if you if you threw it out, you know. And then there's things like, was anything in this box from before I got married? 
I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. Oof. I'm in a unique position. I was basically married since uh, sophomore year of college, but yeah. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah. Well, good on you. You enjoy yourself and the family. That that's that's uh, well deserved for you. I know how hard you work, and thank you. Your transition to civilian life is uh, not exactly easy, and I appreciate that. Thank you, and and it isn't easy, and I mean that's that's just the part of life, you know. It, we get get. I I go from a true lifestyle career to yeah, not doing any of that. Similarities at times are just not similar enough, and other times they're too similar. Yeah. And the same thing with the differences. Sometimes they're not similar enough. And sometimes, man. Uh. It's weird, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you just have to recalibrate it so much. And you probably don't want to dwell on this subject. I get it. No, so. I don't. I don't. I dwell every day on it. So. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll take a, a quick change of pace. By the way, one last thing before we get started on our subject. I am insanely jealous of you for having a basement. Well, I didn't have a basement in Texas. No, no. Basements seem to go extinct west of the Mississippi for some reason, probably because it just gets so expensive. Douchebaggery is what it is. Douchebaggery. Mm-hmm. What? What? Are you calling me a douchebag? No. But why, with more land, would it be that much more difficult to put a fucking basement in? One, they're actually they actually help with a more sturdy foundation, and two, <sighs> I know there's, there's such things as storage. And three, the farther west you go, the greater <laughs> greater chance of tornadoes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the fuck, Chuck? Yeah. Well, where I particularly live, I'm not exactly earthquake country, but we do get earthquakes. And but it won't it, it's they you won't get more than like a 30 or a 35 or something like that out here. Um July 5th of 2019 though, we had a good rumbler that was the actual earthquake that lasted a good 45 seconds. Um, now, if I was in the basement, I'd be a little freaked out. <laughs> and number two, we do get tornadoes. They're rare. And they're usually like an F.5. Well, it happens, my man. <laughs> so, but that extra space. Oh, my God. What I wouldn't give. What I wouldn't give for that extra space. <sighs> I mean, the 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 I, I, I make do with what I have with my recording area here. But man, if I could like if I could just bling out an entire corner uh, for my recording stuff and my gaming stuff, my family would never see me. Well, that's that's the five year plan is to put in a. Uh, a nice. Uh, Den in the basement. Yeah. 
Oh. Well, to uh, to five-year plans. It's five-year mission. Oh, let me ask you this. Now, uh, where did you come up with the term five-year plan? I know you didn't come up with it, but what influenced you about five-year plans? Because this is not the first time you've mentioned this. Just trying to be smart about it, right? So Right. We figure certain things will take more than others, so... You know, something uh, we we just want to get something done within the next five years. We don't want to wait until, you know, our our kid is grown and out of the house, you know. Right. We know our timetable on that. We, we would like to get something done before then. So. Christ, I was just I just realized that in five years, my kid will almost be my oldest will almost be grown and out of the house by then. Well, that happens. I know. Time. Ah, time is the fire in which we burn. I believe time is a com- journey. Uh, what a companion that comes along with us on our journey, something like that. <laughs> was, that was that Picard? Yes. Or was that? Was it? Yes. Shoot. That I don't remember the rebuttal that well. <laughs> no, but that—that's—that's that's what Picard tells Riker at the mm. end of the movie as they're picking up all the shit from the uh, wrecked bridge of the Enterprise. Oh, where he just callously picks up the 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 priceless artifact that was completed, um, and tosses it to the side. Remember that? Well, from, they were uh, really looking for Picard's family photo album. <laughs> I know, but he threw he threw away this priceless artifact that he was gushing over in season seven. What was it? What was the episode called? The race, or or against? No, shoot! You know where the they chase. were trying to the chase. It was the chase. Thank you. Season six, I think. Yeah. That the uh, that was the every <laughs> the basically that was. The uh, Star Trek attempt to explain why all the aliens are humanoids. I know. And actually, I liked that. I, I like the idea of an ancient race that no longer exists that seed the galaxy. Yeah. and, and I, th- the, I thought that the, was a neat idea. Yeah, and the woman who played the... Um, whatever, the recorded humanoid yeah. was the same woman who was the female changeling. The female changeling, yeah, who ordered who ordered the death of all Cardassia. <laughs> Do you want to hear something take wild some and crazy? Time. What's that? In that, um, in that episode, Professor Galen Picard's uh, archaeology teacher, mm-hmm. not archaeology, yeah, his archaeology teacher. Yeah, he took it as a minor or something. Professor Galen was played by Norman Lloyd, who was literally just died last May at the age of 106. Are you serious? No, I'm lying to you for my own amusement. Oh, my. Obviously, it was rhetorical. Really? Yes. Good for him. Jeez Louise. 
Norman Lloyd. Gosh, what is? Oh, he was in Saboteur. I forgot about that. I love that. I think that's my favorite uh, Hitchcock movie. Uh, yeah, and he he was in St. Elsewhere. He was in Trainwreck. <laughs> he was acting movie. until he was acting until he was a hundred years old. Good lord. We could all be so lucky. Yeah. Gosh, man. Wow. That's a nice little, little, you know, uh, aside there. Mm -hmm. Oh, and he was in Seven Days, that TV show. I loved that that show. You remember that show? I don't get into the biblical TV shows much. It wasn't biblical. You know this. You don't know the guy. You don't know the show. It was on. It was on UPN network about the. There was a government program where they had a guy who would go back in time in a time machine, and the farthest it could go back is seven days. Mm. And they would fix anything wrong that happened to and and hoping set to put right the right timeline. What went wrong? Yeah, leaping yeah. from place to place. Yeah. Like, there was one episode where it was, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, it was rife with uh, temporal uh, paradoxes and everything, but it was an entertaining show. Well, you know what the Hulk said. Either, either, it was, either it's all, what is it? Either it's all good or it's all bullshit, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's true, too. So... Anyway, speaking of all good, tonight, or today, depending on when you listen to this, what are we here to talk about, DT? <clears throat> oh, that was a bad transition. My bad. <laughs> I, didn't read your, I didn't read your cues here. <laughs> this is WCOF, the cough station. We're here tonight. To discuss the worst TV show out there right now. Mm, Discovery, yes. <laughs> Actually, we're here to talk about uh, what many people consider the best Star Trek TV show out there right now. The Orville. Specifically... The Orville New Horizons, otherwise known as season three of the Orville. <sighs> All right. So I need to jump in a little bit about this because. No. no? You're just going to cut me off? You're just going to cut me off. You've been cut off. All right. You can take it away. It's all you. Nah, I'm fucking with you. Go ahead there. <laughs> So I got to I got to tell you a little story about Star Trek Discovery because this plays right into the Orville because the Orville and Star Trek Discovery premiered within days of each other, like literally days with each other. Yes. Pretty, pretty sure they did. I mean, we can look it up, uh, but I remember. OK, anyway, I was watching the pilot for Discovery when it aired on CBS and halfway through i'm just seething 
I'm seething with anger. Hashtag not my Klingons. Hashtag not my Klingons. That was one of I mean, they just destroyed the entire Klingon canon. And it just it just did not gel like Star Trek. And I'm not going to go into that. Uh, but my wife turns to me. And she could see the anger building. And at one point, and I don't yell at her, but I am yelling at the apocryphal mess that I'm seeing in front of me. And she just steps back like, whoa, like, wow, you are passionate about this. Again, I didn't yell at her. Well, I'm sorry. What was that? Operation Hot Garbage has begun. It, it really was. It really was. Then moved on to its subsequent and even more powerful um, operation, <laughs> Dumpster Fire. <laughs> we, we can could. basically go ahead and say <laughs> that the, the first season of Discovery was rife with problems. Oh, so bad. It was so and bad. At times, it felt like they were doing dark just to be dark because that's what everybody does now. Yes, yes, that's and while I didn't mind the idea that Lorca was an evil clone or the evil uh, Lorca from the Mirror Universe coming over, that idea had some merit. Mm-hmm. One of the things I liked about the Mirror Universe was that it was it was a guilty pleasure. Deep Space Nine would go over there maybe once a season. Right. Once out of 24 episodes. Yes. And to be honest with you, I think they only had... What, they have like five Mirror Universe episodes? Total. And the episode where they had Jennifer come from the Mirror Universe and... and influence jake was a very powerful episode it was i I mean you saw you saw jennifer manipulating a son she never had uh to get what she wanted which is messed up by the way it just but it was deep it was it was a a head scratcher you know thinking wise and then you have the uh, two-parter in a mirror darkly, which was excellent in Enterprise. And Enterprise, yes. And they tied it back to the Tholian web, which I thought was a great twist. That was a very that was, <clears throat> yeah, that was a very um, creative and clever idea. Yeah, and of course the original uh, mirror mirror was. An excellent episode. Mm-hmm. It spawned all of these things. I just didn't think that doing like half a season in the Mirror Universe was. I think they overdid it. It was a reset because the show, the 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 head writers or the showrunners were kicked out halfway through the first mm-hmm. season for going over budget and messing things up. So they kind of did a reset and retooled the whole story arc and had them go into that they retool every season was a retool yeah well that's the problem that's that's what happens when you have bad writers because you're constantly in damage control now there's a difference between constant retooling and 
progression. Yes. Right. So the Orville, as we said. So uh, it just to be clear, I want to I want to tell you this: the Orville you premiered. Not interrupt on... me. You got all pissy when I interrupted you. Oh, you're right. I apologize. My bad. Uh, shame. Shame. You're absolutely correct. We're, we're, we're talking about the uh, the change of the name New Horizons is literally doesn't do anything, doesn't change anything. The big change that they did was moving away from the more parody and slapsticky comedy that was um, really a, a good solid basis of the first season. Season well, two, they 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 peeled it back a little bit. They started to balance it, and this one it was really it was very Star Trek like, where you would have like in a serious episode, you'd still get a great. B plot with Quark doing something <laughs> crazy, you know, some scheme. Yes. Uh, or, you know, data learning to be more human or something like that. You know, that you, you get some a little bit more natural comedy and humor in it. As opposed to which, you know, still gelled very well and it was, I rewatched, but it was pilot. more than what TNG did. Yeah. I, I, I did. I rewatched the pilot too. <laughs> and it was in a lot of ways jarring between that and watching. Um, what was the episode prior to the season finale? Oh, um, it was. Oh God! Um, that was a tough. That was a pretty dark episode. A lot it of, was uh, Domino. Domino. And I still think that Seth is ripping me off. <laughs> well, we can explain that in a moment. Um, but you're absolutely correct, and and I just I just wanted to finish my my preamble here real quick. Uh, the no, Orville no. premiered. It's just a ramble at this point. Well, of course. The Orville premiered on September 10th of 2017. Star Trek Discovery premiered two weeks later on CBS and then switched over to CBS All Access. And I, so I already had a taste of what a show that wanted to be Star Trek was like. And that was the Orville. And I could see it. It wasn't exactly Star Trek, but it wasn't marketed the way that it actually was. It was marketed as a slapstick family guy set in space. And yes, the pilot had a whole lot of jokes and a whole lot of um, preposterousness in comparison to what Star Trek is. Right. And especially in comparison to what the New Horizons is now. In some ways, it was almost lower like lower decks was is it was yes. more comparable to lower decks i would still, i would agree with still that. had good sci-fi and there were some really good episodes in the first season mm -hmm. with some sci-fi messages and stuff like that 
about a girl. Like, hmm? About what? a girl. Wow. What was the one? There was the one with Charlize Theron. Oh, that one, um, Priya. Mm-hmm. And then there was the oh. Krill when they they infiltrated the Krill ship in the first season. Yeah, and, and they killed basically of all of them except yeah. the children and the teacher. And the teacher who comes back in the third season, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of callbacks in the third season. She comes season. back in the second season, dude. She's the chick who infiltrated. Oh, she yeah, I the, forgot about that. You're right. I got to rewatch this. Some, that's, that's, there's why there's some issues in season three with her and Mercer. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's right. He was playing uh, uh, Kirk Bingo. <laughs> the thing is, Kirk never got bingo, but he got to have fun. Mercer got bingo. <laughs> uh, David Marcus? Mm. That was off screen, and and, and uh, we never met Carol Marcus until the movies. So uh, that that's just my rebuttal. But you're right. I mean, in in the spirit of everything, you are correct in that regard. Anyway, I was actually happy with what the Orville was giving, even though it wasn't exactly Star Trek. Now, yeah. Now, I'm not going to do this as a like a, a bashing of Star Trek in any way, shape or form. We've already talked about how I like Strange New Worlds. I appreciate Lower Decks for what it is. Um. The Orville went on hiatus after the season big two. global issue that came out after season two, yeah, which, you know, it, it ended on. But hmm. even before that, they were changing networks. The Hulu well, move, what? the Hulu notice came out way, you know, before. Uh, I want to say the Hulu news came on the heels of season two's finale before it did, yeah. Before the pandemic. So yes. again, acknowledge your shame. Acknowledge my shame. For your gross inaccuracies. I'm not gonna argue about this, okay? <laughs> Hold on, where's your catchphrase? Uh, you're you're not wrong. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> you said that everything was put on hold because of the pandemic. But even before that, there was some issues with the big changeover. Okay, network. You're splitting hairs. Yes, Dude, there was all that. Split, so if they I started. It, it's to help cover gaps. Understood. But they were they started filming and production and then then the pandemic happened pandemic happened and then they had to stop for like 18 months they had to stop or it was probably like 13 months i think but um yeah so anyway and there was a big delay and down the road too they, they did which actually i'm actually very grateful for because let's talk about season three Season two actually was very interesting in setting up the Kalon threat, uh, the need for allies, that the Union was not this all-powerful 
um, conglomeration of worlds and that they needed allies. They needed the Mocklins. The Krill, who were blood enemies, were actually reaching out to be friends with the Planetary Union. And, and the Mocklins always struck me a little strange. It was almost like they were the Klingons, but they were in the Federation, but not... I no. felt that they were never really... I mean, it's explicitly said in the pilot that they're Planetary Union members, but I always felt that they were not. I felt like they were allies. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? Yeah. But, uh... So, but we, we come off of this second season where there's this massive invasion to try to destroy humanity with the Kalon. There's a couple episodes after that, and... Anyway, we come into season three, New Horizons, and the episode's all about resetting everything. They've upgraded the Orville. Everything looks gorgeous. Everything looks fantastic. The, the star bases are bigger. There's more ships everywhere. It is, it is a, a, a thriving space uh, lifestyle. I think they also saw the rage from Picard season one finale and started varying because all of their ships were the same, just different sizes. For <laughs> it's like they have different types of ships. And then they kind of started to spice it up a little bit. They got the Viper, the, the fighter. The, I was the... just talking about even in season two. Oh yeah. But, oh yeah. But season three. Yeah. Well, you got you to gotta think about this. I know we're going to talk about Star Trek again. At least the next generation had the movies and their resources to rely on. With all of those models that were made, they reused all those Starship models that were made specifically for the movies. So the Reliant, I mean, they made the, Inter the, they made the Ambassador class, obviously, but... They they kit bashed the Nebula class to look you know from which was inspired by the Miranda class. Um, they had all these resources. They reused a ton of different movie footages as establishing shots. The Orville didn't have any of that. Like they were just coming from scratch. Well, and they do have the advantage of computer generation, right? Yes, it's cheaper for graphics now more than ever. And you can copy and paste. And at times, if you don't do your shit well, it's very noticeable. <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw the the the, the Discovery episode, the, the, the channel Discovery episode about the Christie's auction where they auctioned off all of Star Trek history and memorabilia, including all the models. <laughs> oh, no, I remember hearing about that. That's why it really bugged me, and the, it made me so sad. There were there were one or two scenes. Most of the stuff in Strange New Worlds was tight. The, the the CGI was tight. There was one or two flat images that maybe they just couldn't pull off, but whatever. The season finale of Discovery season four really bugged me. They did one of these pullbacks, like, you know, they did oh, it. Oh, yeah. And just, I mean, the computer graphics looked shitty for, like, 15 years ago. I'm like, Babylon 5's graphics were better than this. 
Jeez Louise. Yeah. Well. So apparently they spent all of their money being ham-fisted. And, <laughs> and, and not enough on polishing up that CGI a little bit. It's like going back and watching the first season of Clone Wars and realizing it was like computer-generated claymation. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. That's great. Uh, and um, you know what, though? There were some great episodes in that first season, too. Well, that's writing for you. That's the value of writing, isn't it? It is. You can you can power through medium as long as the writing is really good and you it, it makes you think. And that's what that's the that's the power behind science fiction. And so I know I talked to you about I wanted to pick out a few key episodes here or highlights from season three of the Orville. Number one, I'm going to give I'm going to say it right now. This whole season was a 10. 10 out of 10. A plus. But you're giving it a B minus? No, 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 no. 10 out of 10, 100% A plus. It, it was. There was one episode that I felt didn't get the message right. I know why they did it. I just don't think they got it right. Well, let's um, talk about that one. Okay. It was a good, interesting idea. So episode three mortality paradox where the crew lands on a um a planet that's supposed to be a desert but it's covered in a forest and they come across a high school an earth high school yeah that one was weird it was weird and basically each of them comes across a different i mean they all come across different scenarios where one of them feels like they're about to die they don't die like, you know, Gordon, <laughs> Gordon's about to be killed by this giant monster on a football field. He thinks he's about to die, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah, and and one of the things that started to bother me is that like, they had, like, one, they had, like, six people, five, pe- five or six people on this away mission. Five. And then, like, they did, like, two pretty long versions, and then everything else was, like, really half-assed. And sped through. Yes. They probably could have done like three or four at most. And then, then you know, or, got the point across. cut down the fucking high school piece. Yeah. That one. That one. <laughs> that lasted a long rack. time. Poor Gordon getting a swirly. <laughs> I mean, you're in an alien high school. You're not going to be able to defeat the bullies. You're going to get the sword. The, the swirly is imminent like, you know, <laughs> as a grown ass man. Gordon is like <laughs> O'Brien and Reg Barkley and, and Jordy wrapped all yes. into one. Yes. You have Jordy's atrocious luck with women. You have all the constant self doubts and, and, and personal problems of Barkley. And then you have the must suffer from O'Brien. <laughs> Plus a little bit of uh, that cheeky humor that O'Brien and Malloy, some Irishmen, would have. Yeah, you're correct. The first episode, <laughs> fucking flying the shuttle, drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's one beer. I just, I'm a little nervous. It's just... <laughs> 
literally last night I rewatched the pilot. Like <laughs> I, I did. I think I, I did last week before I watched or wherever it was last week or two weeks ago. I watched it just before I watched the season finale. Um, but <laughs> Gordon had a rough season. Yes. Oh, Although they God. let him sing a lot. No, that's true. Well, I mean, because, I mean, he sings very well. I mean, as uh, he plays the, the character of Steve Smith in uh, American Dad. And he sings all the time really well, by the way. But before we move on to, Remember, like, Gordon's it's story. It is Seth MacFarlane. He, he gets all-around talented people. We know this. No, but uh, Seth also loves to sing and do show tunes. So he's going to bring in people who will do that. Yes. Anyway, I, I just want to finish this. Why I didn't like this episode, the the mortality paradox episode, and then we just can gush all we want. Um, at the end, it was an alien that was basically manipulating reality around them. Um, Seen because, it? <laughs> yes, because it happened to be an alien that we had seen previously, in which uh, the the planet was on an accelerated time-space situation, and Kelly influenced them at a key point in their development. And then we saw, like, what, several hundred years later, or a hundred years later, how, like, when they came back to the planet, which was, like, an hour later, they saw how much Kelly influenced it, and she was worshipped as a god. Um... They eventually like evolved and became this this omnipotent power with no way to die. And so this alien force wants to know what it's like to die from a mortal's perspective. That was the purpose of this. What I didn't like, and this was supposed to be an inspiring message, and it wasn't. She was saying, you'll come to realize that everything you stand for, everything you live for is meaningless. Having children, being a father, being a mother, um, going to work, you know, raising a, a family, none of that matters. And I, I, I'm not, it's not an exact quote, but I sat there I'm surprised. going. I mean, it was so heavy handed by the end. I'm just surprised he didn't have, you know, Somebody singing, and nothing else matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing else matters, exactly. Because when you're one with the universe, it's all one thing. And I'm and like, okay. Force, force with yeah, I know. I didn't like that message. I mean, because, okay, they're, I understand where they were going. Like, we're on a path where we're going to change ourselves fundamentally. But this doesn't help us now. This doesn't help us make us better people now as we are. And I didn't like that. And you're yawning because you're bored by my 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 point out of this. This episode was easily the weakest of of the season. Yes, and I'm glad you agree with that. Um, like I like I already said, it was. You know, they like made, you know, they, they stumble on this high school and then they're there for like 25 minutes and then 
they kind of start rushing through all these other little uh, scenarios. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, a high school? <laughs> well, they needed to save money on set pieces because, I mean, gosh, I mean, all right, I'll say I don't again. know how much these episodes really? cost, but they broke the bank. I know. It's not like I they mean, were skimping on guest stars either. No, I mean, I mean, the effects were top notch. The guest stars were fantastic. Um, it just it, everything looked great. Now, and by by the way, by the way, so much love for. Norm Macdonald in this. Oh yeah! Every time they they played it, and uh, the, and Yafit would be there, and it just I realized, especially as we were coming up, this was the last new Norm I would probably ever hear. Uh yeah, yeah, it was. I got a little weepy when I first saw him in in the premiere episode of the season. Which they dedicated to Norm. They did. Norm MacDonald, whose relationship with Seth Farland goes back 20 years to when he was the original voice of death in like season one or two of Family Guy. You know what this means, though, right? This means that if they go to season four and they have you off it, Adam Carolla can do the voice. I don't know why that's so preposterous, but that's what happened to death. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) And let's also not forget that um, that he uh, (laughs) You're thinking about it now, aren't you? (laughs) Let's not forget, though, that in in one episode Yafit uh, goes into the simulator and shows up as Norm Macdonald. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Well, Which Seth MacFarlane put out a video tribute to uh, Norm Macdonald as the season ended. And it was just a few of the better clips of Yafit from, uh, the, the, uh, from the show. Mm-hmm. Like, little like blurbs of Norm filtered in. So okay, so it's not an official thing, and it wasn't on the in the show. No, like Seth MacFarlane put it out. It, it I got gotcha. you. It, it was it was epic. Seth MacFarlane, Norm McDonald tribute. I got you. I got you. Oh yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll have to look that up. Um, I I, I don't want to cry though, so I'll, I'll look it up later. <laughs> yeah. Um, man. I mean, this whole episode, uh, this whole season was just so well done and rough for me because I just don't like the idea that it's over. Um, I want to start. I want to just highlight a couple episodes and you can you can chime in. You can tell me anything that I missed. OK, sure. Um, let's start with the first episode, Electric Sheep uh, of season three. Man. These, they did not hold, pull any punches with this one. Oh, my God. How relevant was it 
that they dealt with the concept of suicide in this day and age. Just, I mean, in an era where suicides are up now in our society, in the Western world, unquantifiably so, because we're not getting statistics from the health department, unfortunately. Um, They were able to show suicide in a non-human way. And they were able to do it effectively where you're like, oh, my God, Isaac was willing to kill himself in order to make sure that the crew was going to be operating at optimal efficiency. Yeah. What I I will say is, and that was pretty good. It was very strong and very powerful. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been more impactful if they let Isaac stay dead. I would... Also agree with that. Maybe have I and and you know where they were going with the episode. If they were gonna bring him back, maybe have him be gone for a few episodes and then they figure it out. Yeah, well, this also smacked a little bit of Brian getting killed in Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Uh, although that we all knew that was a gimmick. We all knew that. Uh, well, I heard was, they were having a uh, a dispute with the voice actor who plays Brian versus the, the the voice actor that plays Peter. Yeah, and of course the producer and creator. There was this big beef there. Mm, that makes sense. It makes sense. Weird. The 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 sad thing is is <laughs> you could almost see that. <laughs> like Seth MacFarlane is so taking himself to court <laughs> like when he finally snaps and we see a golem like situation with the camera angles and stuff <laughs> uh, your honor uh, <laughs> I can't even do it I, I, uh, I, I'll say this the Electric Sheep was very much, in a lot of ways, it was like family from Next Gen, or they're really dealing with the consequences of yes, the Borg invasion. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because if the Kalon aren't Borg, I don't know what the hell they are. They're close to. I mean, they're AI, right? They're they're Borg plus Skynet plus the Dominion. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're, each individual has its own personality, but they're part of a greater network. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting take, and you're right. Um, I felt, was there a giant fight in that episode? I don't think there was, right? There were plenty of fights. It's whether or not there were actually big battles. Like a, a space battle. There wasn't a space battle in the first episode, no. right? No. Not not really. They I, showed they, they they did a a flashback. Right. They did several flashbacks from the perspective of Marcus and from the perspective of Charlie. Yeah. And then there's also I, I think they were trying to find, uh, I think they were chasing down like a Kalon survivor pod or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But when you, when you get to it, 
there's um they introduce a new character charlie charlie burke who's like the new navigator who see can see in like four dimensions and so she can anticipate she's got an almost um precog level of perception Mm -hmm. which is what seeing in the fourth dimension is (laughs) <laughs> which they don't say it that way. That's the way I interpret it. But I liked Charlie a lot. Not, a, I mean, aesthetically, she's very pleasing, but I liked her character. I felt that they showed a good amount of pathos on why she felt antagonism towards Isaac the way she did. Agreed. She, she lost a best friend in the battle for Earth. And she she still she she came to an uneasy truce with Isaac. So here's the problem. She was blatantly insubordinate. She was uh, I ensign. also agree with that. She was an ensign repeatedly defying her commanding officer. Any commanding officer. Yeah, that bugs me to no end and that. That, <laughs> it's not redeemable. No, you're okay. right. You're absolutely she, right. <laughs> she's like Ro Laren without the conscience. Or dare I say Michael Burnham in totality. <laughs> At and least he, Michael Burnham that, served and that, and jail that, time. That's the problem, too, is they want, and again, maybe this is where people think that have questions why, you know, why would somebody like me like Star Trek? You know, I'm 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 a military guy. I, you know, so they assume I'm obviously very conservative in my views and whatnot. And as I've said before, I'm conservative, little C, not big C. Sure. Which is a crime. No. Uh, and by little c, I mean, like, I don't like extremists on any variety. No, you're That's, a centrist. Right. So, really, I am conservative. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, when you break it down that way, that is technically what a centrist is. <laughs> I'm not a conservative. I am conservative. You just practice you practice conservatively. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I think most people think they do in their day in and day out. And most people are completely full of shit. And I know <laughs> that there are times where I go to extremes or lean one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but anyway. Self-awareness is a big deal. So, yes. Charlie got on my nerves a lot. And the fact that she had a very tragic backstory, which I know you love. <laughs> tragic backstories. And I know. Everybody she had... their pain. But at least we saw, we, we, already, we established where that pain comes from in a previous episode. And they just built off of that. Well, it was basically from the start with her. Yeah. But we saw, we, we saw where she got her pain from in season two. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't out of left field in a pilot like we saw with Strange New World. 
You know what I mean? Look, it is what it is. Okay. We're probably splitting hairs here, and I, I'll admit that. You're right. Charlie began to grow on me. I'll say that, but I mean, she was she was like Ro Laren without the charm. There was something charming about Ro, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. This isn't good pod because I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. <laughs> We're supposed to disagree, damn it. <laughs> I disagree with that statement. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, again, she does get better. Yes. But it does it does get a little frustrating. Because she was, she should have been put in the brig after the second or third insubordinate act. <laughs> okay. I, I, now, I'll say I, this I, for Burnham. She at least went to prison. She did. I mean, she was punished for insubordination. No, she was not in, insubordination. What, what, that was a straight oh, up mutiny. Oh, yeah, mutiny. You're right, yeah. Okay. You're right. <laughs> But I don't remember the amount of insubordination that Charlie had, admittedly. Admittedly. I mean, it's it's probably all there. I just don't remember it that much. And, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not saying that she was a bad... The, the, the actress was definitely a good actress. She portrayed it well. I she think portrayed what it, she was supposed to. Yes. And I think she wasn't written as well as she should have been. Okay. All right. Uh, admittedly, that, that yeah, that makes sense. I can live with that. She. And while uh, bitter and hurt, she was a racist. <laughs> yeah. She hated the Kalon. Yep. Which, well, I mean, Kirk that kind was of racist. attack, you can't really, you can't really blame people for that. Um, and I do also think at times, a lot of the rest of the the main cast was just ready to, you know, early Star Trek it. Mm, oh, what he did that? Oh, we don't mm. talk about that. We're moving <laughs> on to the next episode. We're not going to talk about Moving back to status quo. Repeat. Yeah. Moving back Reset. to status quo. Uh, so you'd think that there was a f- there'd be a few more hard feelings amongst the main cast. But yeah. But you at least get your obligatory Blade Runner reference. So. <laughs> what was the Blade Runner reference? Do androids dream of electric sheep? Oh, yeah. God. Yes, you're right. God. I walked into that. I should have known it. I I mean, I knew what they were referencing when that episode first aired, too. I just... Now, here's something that I, I... I did enjoy Gently Falling Rain, which is the... Where... Where the Union and the Krill kind of banded together to push back the Kalon towards the end of season two. And 
the Union was attempting to broker a, a true peace treaty with the Krill. And then it close. goes it goes to shit pretty hard when uh, when the former Krill teacher turned spy who uh, Ed was banging when he when she was a junior <laughs> officer on his ship, which there uh-huh. there's some questions and concerns about all of that too, but you of know, course, of course. But they did that all the time on Star Trek, so I can't say it's wholly a. No, the regulations change as 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 decades go by. Think about it like that. So, space is a, a cold, hard place. Yeah, <laughs> you need some warmth somewhere. So, uh, the hell's her name? Oh, um. Oh shoot! Gently falling rain. Talia. Is it Talia? That sounds right. Yeah, she's part of a yeah, it's a, a minority that basically engineers a coup that overthrows and the ruling chancellor, and then she. Well, tries it's not to- even. It's not a coup. It's not an. It's not an overthrow. She's elected. Yes. She is elected. Yes, through the shady politics of the Krill. And that's shady for even regular politics. Was that a was was that implied? Because the way I I saw it, they, it was they a legitimate election propaganda. And yeah, well, I mean that's just politics. It, that's not shady. That's politics. They just, they just crank it up to eleven. Yeah, of course. I mean that's just politics. But legitimately, she won the chancellor position or whatever they call it. Was it chancellor? Yes. Yeah. Um. Which obviously was a Trump parallel. Right? Yeah, because as we all know, you can't have any politician or political thing now that's not a Trump parallel. No, you can't. (laughs) And it's not somebody uh, beating down, you know, all of that. Uh Right. I mean, uh, I mean, any any Trump parallel is everything's going smooth. And then this rogue candidate comes in, gets elected and then destroys everything that was supposed to be going smooth. That's a Trump parallel. (laughs) I should write a dissertation. I mean, I'm sure there are people writing whole essays about that kind of thing. Yeah. but yeah, but it 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 destroys the the Union Krill Alliance, and yeah. and she tried to kill the president of uh, the Union, which um, I was going to be really pissed if they did because they brought back Bruce Boxleitner as president he, of the Union, and they put him yeah, in this big purple alien prosthetics, and, and I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah, but I didn't, I, he didn't sound you like tell him. By the voice, oh, it was no. The, I didn't. I didn't hear it See, at all. That's because you are you are weak on your Babylon Five. I'm not as strong as you, obviously. But yeah, no, no, no. Whatever, whatever. It's Babylon Five. It's one of the great pillars of the golden age of sci-fi. I've already said that Sheridan is my favorite commander. Okay. Well, then you should recognize him by voice. Mm. 
Anyway. Yes, Bruce Boxleitner, awesome as the president of, of the union. And Fantastic. what was he in, about three or four episodes, I think? It was like at least three. I don't know if four, but yeah. Holy mm. shit, did John Cryer direct this? Oh, no, John Cassar. <laughs> yeah, like John Cryer. That, that sounds so similar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was scrolling through. Um, so I, I felt like Ed has a love child with Talia. Yes. Half human. And God, I have to go. I I just need to rewatch all of it because a lot of it was so emotionally jarring that I just, I can't, I couldn't go back and rewatch. I just had to ruminate on it. Right. Hmm. Um, Why don't you ruminate whilst I illuminate? <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's the anniversary, the anniversary of Robin Williams' death, by the way, I today. Sad. I know. Um, but yeah, gently falling rain like destabilized everything, which you know made me concerned because I'm sitting here going. Okay, technically this is supposed to be like the final season, but it sounds like they're setting this up for like the long term. And then we get a more local episode or a more more smaller story, a tale of two topas, which turns out it's not. No. Cuz it all it goes back to the, huge... the Mocklin. And again, another sh- another shots at Epic conservatism as well. Um, okay. Yes, you're right. Now, here's where I think they they were trying to say one thing, but they said the other. And I don't, and this is just an interpretation. This isn't my assertion in any way, shape, or form. But A Tale of Two Topas, number one, was a fantastic freaking episode. It was fantastic. It was sci-fi and it's yeah. most glorious mm-hmm. because um, Bordis and Clyden originally yes. had an egg and that the, the, the person that hatched from it was a girl. And then in the first season, it was literally the second episode of the whole of the whole show where um, third episode. Um, where they had this whole moral conundrum because Bordis and Clyden wanted to change the their daughter to a boy. Um, as and per as per Mocklin tradition. Like, if you have these genetic, they call it a genetic disorder, that's what you do. And it went to trial on Mocklis, and it was hilarious, but also tragic. And ultimately... Bordis, who was, you know, won over to let let Topa be a girl, Clyden won. And that set their relationship on rocks and everything. Now, this is the fallout because Topa is acting weird, basically suicidal. And Kelly recognizes this. Kelly Grayson, right? Commander Grayson. God, I know more of their names than I do anyone on Discovery and uh strange new worlds total that's a crime strange new worlds has great characters i don't even remember uhura's name oh wait (laughs) 
anyway, so just this for Hammer. <laughs> I know, poor Hammer. By the way, there are parallels in New Worlds uh, with uh, New Horizons, which is interesting. Um, Why? Because one's called New Worlds, the other's called New Horizons. <laughs> that's one. Um, but hey, we and, just... and let me let me say this. Okay. Seth needs to talk to Anson Mount because Seth's hair is n- one. It's definitely not as epic as Anson Mount's, but two, it's uh, it's it's looking a little ratty in spots. With all that money, you could at least get a better stylist. I believe that Seth is a billionaire at this point, and you are absolutely correct. He should be able to get those plugged in. <laughs> if nothing else, at least a better styling job. <laughs> well, he's stuck in the nineties. I recommend hats. <laughs> I know, I know. My hairstyle is stuck in the fifties. Maybe no, it's it's basically based in the fifties with a little bit of eighties influence because it gets yeah, longer. Yeah, just face it, man. You can't get the quaff that uh, Pike has. You cannot pull off Pike's Peak. I actually, I need to know how they get that freaking peak. Like, do they put in an implant, like like a bump, the hair bump or something? Because if they do, I call shenanigans. He's got a tractor beam weaved into his hair. Oh boy. I mean, I've got almost as much gray as he does at this point. That's what I need to be for Halloween. I'm gonna grow out my hair. That's it. That's it. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna dress up as Captain Pike. Oh wait, no, I'm supposed to be Eddie from Stranger Things. Never mind. <laughs> you you can be Eddie from Blue Bloods for all I care. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking about Halloween in August, by the way. So fuck my life. Hey man, um, don't worry. That's about the same as when all the Christmas shit comes out before <laughs> Halloween. I know. I know. Oh my god. My wife literally went to the store today to look at the Halloween stuff. Because she's like, it's going to be gone by next week. You know this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know human nature. I just don't like it that it's this soon. We still have at least two weeks of summer left. Please. And actually, where I live, summer temperatures last until November, the, the first week of November. So. Which 80 feels cold. Anyway, Tale of Two Topas. Um, ultimately, it comes down to the Mocklins don't want to change Topa back to a girl. And uh, Bordis does. Clyden leaves when it, it comes down to Bordis wins. Clyden leaves Bordis. And you see the pain in Bordis. I, I cannot emphasize the acting ability of Peter Macon. Or is it Mackin or Macon? Peter Macon. We're going to go with Macon. Um, Peter Macon is just, you got to give that man the Emmy. Well, like he just was, it, he I says mean, so a, the emotion that he's he able conveys, to emote a lot without a whole lot of outward emotion. Yes, it is such restraint that he shows. And that's a very powerful ability that not many people have. Um, 
And it just it was so tragic to see Bordas taking a side. He needed to save his daughter's life, and he was going to lose his husband. And I, I found that it was so tragic. Bordas and Clyden really have a very healthy relationship. They didn't, not after. I mean, Topa was the source of their unhealthy relationship. Let's be honest. That's where it was. We saw it happen. They were happy before. Um. Oh, oh, and I also realized. Oh, and Bordas's porn addiction. Well, yeah, that happened. But I'm sitting here. I'm watching a couple of episodes um, from the first season, and I'm sitting here watching Clyden go. Man, Clyden is like very effeminate-ish. Like he's, if there is like a female in the relationship, that's him. Oh yes. But Bordas now we know. Always Clyde. yelling at him. Stop that! No, that's no, not. No, he is. He's always Clyden. You will be quiet. No, that's yes. Go back and watch. I know, no, that's exactly it, but I'm not going to say that that's equivalent to making him a female in the relationship. No, 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 I, I know, I'm not equating it either, I'm just saying. Bordas <laughs> yells at him a lot. Yes, he does. But, he can uh, be both a oh, shrinking violet and a raging asshole. Yes. But, he goes well, like super Karen a couple yes. of times. Yes, yes, uh, probably because, uh, yeah, all right, anyway. I'm just saying, Clyden acts non bordis like you would think that Bordas he would be acting along the lines that Bordas does, but no, it's because Clyden was born female. Hey, there you go. There it is right there. That's, that's why you have the behavioral distinctions that you have. And. A lot of self-loathing. Yes. And I think, and you know, the funny part is between the first season episode where it was about a girl and they wanted to change the girl to a boy, no one in the planetary union wanted to do that. They were like, this is unethical. We're not going to change a child's gender at all as a child. That You can't do that. And then it was the Mocklins that forced it to happen, right? And now, in A Tale of Two Topas, they saw the crisis that Topa was facing. Because she was a female. She feels a female. She's a male. And they're trying, and, and and they ultimately realize, oh my god, if we don't change her back to what she was, we're gonna have a major loss on our hands, a complete tragedy. I know. And I, this is the beauty of humanist storytelling because it can go both ways. Because I, I feel like that they were trying to say, if a child says that they want are one thing, you need to make sure that they are that. In this circumstance, it was, we need to change her back because it was a mistake. Hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I do. I do. It, it, it becomes a problematic, and... I'm sure this is very much an allegory for. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's an allegory for. Well, I mean, you, you, were you were you people, uh, you know, being in the closet, um, people afraid to be themselves because of cultural norms, either being okay. yep. gay or bi or trans or something. So, I mean, it's that's what it feels like to me. Um, 
I buy all of that. But we're talking and, uh, specifically about transsexualism. Right. But also, when, yeah, particularly these kids who feel that, you know, even at a young age, who feel like, well, I'm not a girl, I'm really a boy, or I'm not a boy, I'm really a girl inside. And, you know, that sort of. Um, and nothing in Machlin culture is extremely restrictive. Oh, absolutely. As we saw later. I mean, we already knew, obviously, but my point is basically the Mocklins are kind of the stand in for the, you know, again, some of uh, some of the more negative aspects of our society, you know, ultra traditionalist, you know, uh, you know, uh, sexist. Uh, whereas the krill or the ultra religious, basically the two more, most antagonized uh, members of the society, of uh, the universe are, um, you have your Christian conservatives and then your hardline traditionalist conservatives being. But you also have the non, the non-religious and the non-human in the in in the Kalon. Correct. And so the planetary union is a representative of a balance between that, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You're you're right. Um, anyway, I just think I think they were trying to say one thing, but they can kind of said another thing. But again, I could be wrong. But that's the beauty of science fiction in a in a humanist perspective. Would they write it when they write it that way? It can yeah. be interpreted different ways, which is wonderful. It's great. Get, with the tale of two topas, and you've heard my, uh, we we've talked before about how uh, Kelly probably should have been um, disciplined for her interference. You know. They talk all about the respect of other cultures and that sort of thing. And Kelly exceeded her authority beyond just the welfare of the child. Uh, Which Um, planetary union is supposedly about as, uh, you know, for respecting other cultures as they say they are, as, you know, the Federation is supposed to be, then... She was definitely guilty of um, that. Uh, but was it? It wasn't her, though. It was her. It was Bordis. No. Bordis. Bordis. She Bordas inserted herself Topa. beyond the concerns of the child. Bordis showed Topa her files. Yes, but e- that even before then. She I, I will. She could, ahead. and she probably should have at least received a reprimand for some of her actions. Agreed. Agreed. And um, it's not to say that, from our perspective, it's not to say that she was wrong. No. But she definitely, it definitely feels like she violated several of the union's so called tenets. So. 
Um, I my perspective is she walked a a tight a a, a very tight rope, and she fell off. Uh, I I don't think she fell off. She thought she fell off. No, she fell off because this is where people equate because of her motives. She was wrong in several respects. She violated the the, the union tenets of non-interference in other cultures. Right. Non-interference of a member state. Not respecting another culture. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying, even though we're supposed to you know, think the Mocklins are douchey and wrong. No, you're right. They're, and I'll say this. Mocklins are douchey and wrong. They are okay. douchey and wrong. But I mean, it was to it, make it, a point. It, and, yeah, yeah. It, and that's why later in the season, um, the uh, Midnight Blue. It was Midnight Blue, yeah. Yeah. Where... They had the uh, the great Dolly Parton cameo. Oh my god! Uh, but uh, the uh, Havina, the female rebel of the Mocklins, who have this colony. A cherished a cherished author among yes. Mocklin society until she was found out in the yeah. first season. Now she has this female, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this colony of females that are. Under uneasy shared jurisdiction, jurisdiction, yeah, by the the Mocklins and the Union. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when it, it definitely when it's the Mocklins set up to not only kidnap Topa because they they are suspicious that Havina has been smuggling new females in, which was. Pro- Prohibited by the establishment of Correct. the colony, um, and all of this shit, where Havina basically put Topa up to being um, a, a, a pawn, basically. Really, but yeah, but doing her work, you know, doing uh, communication work um, to try to circumvent the rules. Yep. Which is reprehensible. I found that I found that disgusting. It Everything was. I loved about and Havina, which was great about this episode because it shows a deeper layer. I mean, we know why Havina did it. She was wrong for doing it by invoking Topa to doing what she was. We understand her motivation. But at this point, it was wrong for her to involve especially a child. Who is mixed up in the whole... I mean, she just became a, a female again. Very recently. Yeah. And it, it was pretty rough, too. And it, it was... And, of course, because... You can now. Child torture, murder is fine on TV now. Yeah. Uh, uh, is it fine? I mean, it was pretty everybody awful. Everybody does it. Child torture? She was getting beaten, dude. I know that. But what else are you referring to? Are you, I mean, Strange New Worlds, there was child Strange torture. Worlds. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, oh. Order SVU. Oh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Shit, you're right. I don't like this trend. I don't like it at all. As a parent, I really don't like it, no. No. I, I mean, Midnight Blue, I found it was a very hard watch, especially for that. I mean, that 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 was that was tough. I mean, she was black and blue and hey, I got to tell you, here's another spot where Kelly was wrong. Walk Topa out and let Bordas do his shit. You don't have to say Jack. <laughs> and I'm oh, all for the rule man. of law and due process. But uh, what was she going to do? What was he going to do? Leave people alive to identify them? Right. Uh, no. No. No, you're correct. Oh, man. I'm no, you're saying, right. But Portis got to lay the smack down, and that was pretty epic. It was great. And then, and, and you then. Know what? Listening to them bullshit in the same way, kind of like in Star Trek 4, where the Klingon. Ambassador at the very beginning is blustering that Kirk is a renegade and terrorist, and <laughs> then Sarah's <laughs> like, "Did you do you deny blowing up the USS Grissom and yeah. murdering Starfleet personnel?" <laughs> right, we deny nothing. It was very much like that, like the old Klingons, mm-hmm. and then you know, or like some of these blustery people in like the Clone Wars and all these Senate hearings from the prequels and the Clone Wars and shit. That yep. People used to complain about, and now they're like, oh, it's so nuanced now. <laughs> it's also uh, nuanced. <laughs> but now you've got, uh, and they're up there and they're like trying to make it like, you guys all suck. You're the racist. You won't let us be us. Yada, yada, yada. Then Gordon like just calls him out. He's like, you guys suck. <laughs> you want everybody <laughs> to do things your way just because you make weapons. So fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> which to be honest with you, it's kind of what everybody I think wants to say. But oh, absolutely, Gor- and, Gordon and, really doesn't give fucks. No, and Admiral Halsey didn't give an f either. I, I mean, at the end, because because uh, um, and Pavina, it's Halsey, it's Halsey, Halsey. Because sorry, most of the admirals are named after famous American naval admirals. Yes. All right. How many times do you want me to say you're correct in this episode? No, I just was going to point that out later on. (laughs) Halsey and Perry are, you know, it's not Perry. Maybe you could get away with it, but Halsey, it's it's not the most common of names. And, you know, there was actually a couple of really famous Perry's in the Navy, you know, in the U.S. Navy. So I'm just saying. Okay. All right. You're just saying. It, it is cool the way the way they're trending with the admirals. Now, eventually, uh, Mercer is able to convince Havina, you got to confess what you've done, yeah. and you have to face it. And he uses Dolly Parton in that very famous. We're we're just going to call it a, a holodeck, but it was a simulation deck. Um, where where she meets Dolly, and she sings, and Dolly sings "Try," which, by the way, is a recent song. She published that in 2014 it's a beautiful song she's I bought dolly it. man she's dolly. Uh, she's oh man 
Um, I actually, I, I, uh, it got a little dusty in the room during that scene when I first watched it. Um, honestly, I, I have been affected by this, this whole season emotionally, and I'm trying to look at it from a, a very objective perspective, but man, almost every episode hit me in the feels well, because it was so profound. I mean, they took like three years to to get this season out so they really refined a lot of these scripts you're right you know nine out of ten tens um but uh and then and then Clyden comes back as a result of, of Havina confessing to what she did and well wasn't the only result uh, but I think there was a wasn't there a paratrooper <laughs> rescue of of Topa and everything? No, um, no, it was just a, a shuttle rescue. The the paratrooper shuttle. was in Domino. Yeah, no, I, I you know what I mean, but yes. Yeah, um, because the Mocklins then go out and being the douches that they are after being expelled from the Union, they go and say, you know what, let's go form an alliance with the Krill and fuck right. anybody else. Right, but. The fact that Clyden came back, I, I, I found that to be very, very powerful. And, and I mean, was, honestly, but, I had written Clyden off. I, I, I thought he was gone forever. Yeah, I still didn't like exactly how he came back at the end. It was almost too easy. He's like, I, I accept you as my child. No, what you should do is beg a thousand pardons and say that I've I had problems. And my problems kept me from seeing who you really are clearly something like that. Uh, and okay. I, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that would have been and a Topa better comes way. back and like gives him a hug. And I'm like, uh, that seems a little easy for somebody who told you they didn't, he never wanted, he, he didn't want them as their child and walked out. That's pretty she's harsh. A, she's a young child. Your parent can do a whole lot of wrong. And when they come back, you're still going to hug them. That's some serious damage. It's not like she's a. I agree. I agree. But still, I I can write that off. But it's a good insight. The writing writing definitely could have been more refined. He he comes back. He's like, you know what? You're fine. You know, not taking as much responsibility for his for his part in it. No, no. uh, Obviously, Clyden has a lot of issues that he has to work through. And right. again, I'm not defending him for what he did. I just found it to be a good moment where he saw his daughter in need. And despite his disagreement, he felt that he needed to be there to help her. Well, I think he also started to realize he was wrong. I'm just saying yeah. they could have written it a little better with the dialogue. Yes. You're right. So okay, so I'm going off of the 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 pathos version versus your your logos version. Yeah, well, just remember, I am a worldly individual. I know you've traveled the world, you've seen everything, you've seen things that no one would ever want to see, and some things that everyone would want to see. Have you ever seen a man eat his own head? Well, then you haven't seen everything. I really don't want to see that. That would be awful. Team America. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. 
I just don't want to see that. <laughs> well, there was a lot of callbacks to, to previous episodes this season. Almost every episode had a tie-in to something previous. Which was so. nice. It wasn't like an Easter egg. It was it would just it just solidified the universe a little bit more, in my opinion. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, it was definitely some world building and kind of those things that that um, lower decks would make fun of. It's like we disappear. You know, we go and we see these planets once and then who follows up with them? Right. It showed consequence. Right. Which was which was refreshing. And one now, of the consequences of this ridiculous new uh, krill Mocklin alliance was, you know, especially because they had kidnapped or um, some the the union had developed a defense against the Kalon, which would basically shut down all Kalon within a light year or something like that. So like, and they kept generating bigger power to try to make it more powerful. It was like the nuclear deterrent, then they just fly right to the Kalon and like hold them at gunpoint and say, yeah, we're going to have peace or else. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I appreciated that. Gun, do- gun vote diplomacy, as it was called prior to World War One. <laughs> so I, I want to go into deeper on that, but because I. All right, I want to go in deeper, but I want to discuss twice in a lifetime first. Twice oh, in a was lifetime. that the one with Gordon? Yeah, where Gordon ends up back in the 21st century. Yeah. And the Orville goes back as well, but they miss it by 10 years. And so Gordon has been on Earth, and he finds the woman that he fell in love with in season two with from the iPhone 6 that she had. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and he makes a life with her. And everything and 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 Ed and Kelly are like, well, we can't have this. And Gordon's like, no, no, screw you. I'm staying here. I can't. This is my life now. If, if you wanted me, you needed to find me after I fell here. But this is 10 years. You can't do this. And then Ed and Kelly are like, we understand. You have to know that we have to fix this. And I don't think we ever saw the consequences of the timeline with Gordon being there, did we? Um, I don't think we did. I don't remember if there was something. There might have been a little, but, you know, um, here's where I think You know, they tried and failed numerous times to get uh, Gordon to come back with them. And he's got a wife and kid now. And Kids? Like get, two or three kids now? Uh, no, just one kid, I think. Oh, but one was, but his girl, his wife was pregnant. She was pregnant, yeah, that's right. So, then all the beans come out in front of all of them, and it's a huge fight. And yep. You know, here's where there was a problem for me in this episode. 
Okay. They ended up. They tortured um, Gordon from the past by basically saying, "Yeah, we're just gonna go back in time and erase this whole issue." I agree with that. They didn't have to say that. They were like, "They said we'll leave you alone." You know what, Gordon? You're right. We'll leave you alone, and then they can go back and do that. That was a dick move. It was unnecessary. It was hurtful. And I felt it was too much uh, for the drama piece. A little bit overblown. Yeah. Yeah. What you could do for emotional weight is them go, you know what, Gordon, you're right. We're sorry. We're leaving. And show the emotional pain on behalf of Ed and Kelly as they they turn away. But then they go outside, right? And then they're like kind of seeing Gordon and his family in the window as they're talking, you know, we have to go back and undo this. It's like, you know, he's like, well, but look at him. He's so happy. Yeah. Um, and Kelly's and like, do we have He's to? my best friend. I, I yeah. know it's right, but it's still, it's so hard to do. And they have to come to that decision because Gordon was their best friend. I do feel like that actually probably, okay. Actually, you won me over. That, that part, makes that episode so much more powerful um because they did they did literally would have had to wrestle between each other about gordon's happiness rather than making gordon a um a a foe in the sense because in the episode gordon is like no screw you we're not doing this and that gives them the ability to just like plant their feet down at that point and say, no, we have to do it. But now, like, they literally don't have to do it in your scenario. Well, yeah, do. and it, it's basically and they, it's it basically, haunts them. It's the storytelling equivalent of, yeah, well, fuck you when you run out yeah. of things, when you run out of an argument. That's what you boiled down to. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, it was man. Necessarily cruel. It was. It was. And you could get just as much emotional impact, like I said, seeing Ed and Kelly wrestle with decisions. They're like kind of spying on Gordon, like through the window. And and you don't have to change any dialogue from Gordon and, and, and his wife because you could, he could they could have said the exact same things. As Ed and Kelly were outside in just a different context, even I just even more. Even more, I think, impact would be, you know, he's like, they were my best friends and I'll, I'll never see them again. And, and, you know, that kind of thing you get from him. But you could see there might be just a little bit more peace with Gordon and his family rather than this emotional train wreck that they're sitting there. Huddled, huddled in the pantry or something. Or in the living room, right? I mean, they were in the they were huddled in the living room in the corner. On the, they hugging were, each other. Yeah, they were like on the couch. Like, it's like, like oh, I love you. I love you. I want you to know. Yeah. Oh, God, no, no, everything's so... going to be fine. And then, and then the next we see Gordon, he's, was it 10 minutes after the crash or something? And then he um, hears about all of it. It's like, it was like a month or something. Or, or it, a month it, was, or it wasn't too long. It was, Yeah. He's still wearing his uniform. He's still quaffed. And it's a month after or whatever. And and he reads the report. 
And he goes to Ed and he says, well, I'm sorry about my actions in my alternative self. I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, no, no. Are you? And, and, and that's, that's the writing right there. That makes you sit there and, and think like, would that really have been something that he thought? Like, and it, that's a rough deal. Well, he seemed very conciliatory. Yes. I think you would have you would have thought there'd be a little bit of maybe a little bit of betrayal there to a degree. Like, I think that uh, that would have been a better route to go. Instead of, because, okay, let's get drunk together because we're right. all friends. Right. I think it would have been better that Gordon read about this life that he never had, but he did have, and a life that he always wanted. And he holds Ed responsible for taking that away from him. And while he understands the underlying issue of why Ed did what he did, he still is passive-aggressive against it. Well, do you re- do you remember Hippocratic Oath in Deep Space Nine where O'Brien and Bashir are on a runabout and get shot down uh, on a planet inhabited by rogue Jem'Hadar? The Jem'Hadar first... Um, has developed an immunity to Ketracel White. He thought it was because of this planet he'd been stranding on. So he was trying to see if that would, if the planet would cure his men of the addiction to Ketracel White. I, th- I vaguely remember it, yeah. And so they finally get through to Bashir about him being a doctor and having to go through and do this you know, trying to save lives, but O'Brien's like, it's not going to matter. You're not going to be able to find this out in time. They're all going to kill us. And they have some really big philosophical disagreements. And as they're flying away, when they finally make their escape, they're flying away. They're kind of like having been at odds and at almost each other's throats for the last half of the episode. It's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to spend some time with with my wife and kids. It's like, yeah, I've got some research I got to do. When I think one of them suggests you want to go shoot darts, and it's like, you know what? We we need some time apart. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't yeah. permanent because they ended up going back to whatever. But at least that shows like there's some consequences. You could say whatever the next episode, if they were fucking drinking and playing darts together, could have been a month later or something. For all we right. know, right? Right. But that's the exact sentiment that I feel every time I end a podcast with you. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Uh, deep though, man. That yeah, your uh, I think your insight is absolutely correct, man. <sighs> Just being unnecessarily cruel, even to, to to somebody you care about. I mean, it's kind of like when you reach the end of an argument with like a family member, and you say something that you realize you should not say. Yes, and you can't and, take it back. Yeah, and it, because it, you reach a point where and I'm not saying it's right, but you know we've all gotten to that point where we're we're so tired and angry and frustrated and whatnot that we we throw something out there that's just meant to be hurtful. Yes. And it, yes. And you say that one exact perfect hurtful thing. Yeah, well, I never liked your cooking. Oh, boy. I never never liked your streusel. 
<laughs> Your steak of poivre needs more seasoning. Ah, it needs more nutmeg. Oh, God. <laughs> we joke, but, you know, we, we are both very happily married people, but, you know, you, it's one of those things, you, the old saying, you always hurt the one you love. Well, because they're in, you let them in, they let you in, you share love, and it's it's actually pretty easy to hurt somebody you love. Oh, yeah. You got to be careful about that. You always got to you got you got to live that golden rule, man. Leave Gordon alone. Well, live the golden rule, right? If they live the golden rule, treat your treat others the way you want to be treated. If they lived that rule, they wouldn't have told Gordon we're going to unravel everything you just built in the last 10 years. As I said, leave Gordon alone. But I'm just saying that the golden rule applies to everything, including marriage and leaving Gordon alone. <laughs> so, you know, to kind of wrap it up, you know, when you get to the end of the season, the last two episodes, one's very action heavy, Ooh, very high stakes. Domino. Right. And when they get, come up with the Kalon killing up uh, weapon. Right. And. Then you got the the Mocklins and the Krill saying, "Hey, let's get down with this shit." Yeah, and they tr- they steal it with the help of uh, Ted Danson's character. I forgot his Ad- name. Admiral Perry. Admiral Perry, yes. Which I'm sad to see that we we saw him die kind of off screen. We saw his shuttle be destroyed. We didn't see him die. You know. Yep. You know, and I was a little surprised when it was him giving shit to them. And I understand why he feels that, you know, worried that the Kalon will will devise a countermeasure. Um, But well, let's let's talk about that for a second, because this is this is the conundrum that I had. I was actually more in the Ted Danson, Admiral Perry camp where don't stop because they won't stop. (laughs) They have no emotions. They will do everything they can to destroy you. They're the Terminators, basically. And if you if they are aware of this weapon, you have how many millions of Kalon minds working together in a perfect network trying to solve a solution to fix this problem. They will figure out how to fix the how to make that weapon nullified very quickly. They would have. And and Kalon Prime said it himself. It almost it, I mean his red eyes, they didn't narrow, but you felt they narrowed when he said that exact thing. We will eventually figure out the solution to your weapon. <laughs> and that scared me. That was scary. So I was basically on the side of, you know what? Let's. I was mixed, actually. I wanted I agree with showing them their the hand of what they had, destroying a bunch of Kalon and saying, we won't destroy you anymore. But in the end, the Kalon, we're going to figure out a way to uh, to to counteract that weapon. 
So it was just basically a stopgap in the middle. Until a new solution could be found. And I don't know if a new solution could have been found. Which is why we had Admiral Perry do what he did and take the weapon over to the Mocklins and, and, and the Krill. What do you think? What do you think was the right call? There are no easy answers to this question. Really, I agree. Really isn't. I mean, could you have gone and wiped out a bunch more of the Kalon fleet before you went and stopped in on their fucking doorstep, pointed this big gun at them and said, hey, we, we have a way to wipe your ass out, so surrender now. And basically it was like, you know, if you decide not to be dicks, maybe maybe you can be one of us. Kind of thing. Yeah. And it was, again, it was very, very much peace at the barrel of a gun. We're going to yeah. have peace or I'm going to kill you. Um, and I get it because the Kalon didn't really give anybody any quarter or anything like that. So it's, it's hard. You know, you see, you know, their Wolf 359, their Battle of the Line, you know. Just slaughter of innocence. It was basically and, the battle of the line. Yeah, I mean, how many how many ships were de- how many Union ships were destroyed in that battle when know. the Kalon invaded Earth? Yeah, I I don't know. But the pilot distinctly says that there are three thousand Union ships that needed to be filled because the the fleet was growing exponentially. So I mean. We've, we saw a whole lot of Union ships destroyed and uh, countless how many lives just perished. Yeah. And now we have, and now the Union has this weapon and there's always going to be the threat that the Kalon will be able to render it inert. Mm-hmm. So. Because Isaac already showed that it's inert to him. Yep. They should have said Isaac has been dismantled. Like, they shouldn't have shown that Isaac existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was yeah. already cut off from their network. But right. he was on the bridge when they showed all that. I mean, and, and anyway. And now... Right, it's Mark, a complicated the, question. The Marklins and the Krill have this super weapon that they're trying to build, like, a Starkiller base, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You're right. I didn't think about it like that. But Which, right. by the way, didn't, don't forget, eventually there was a trench run. There was a trench run. I saw that, and I thought about that. <laughs> it was great. So they bring in, the, <laughs> they, they introduce this starfighter in the very first episode of the season, and it takes them all the way to episode nine to actually use it. And what do they do? They do yeah. a fucking trench run on a Death Star. Yeah, they did. They did. And then and it paid do, off. <laughs> and then they do a, a Star Trek 09 uh, space jump. Uh, yeah, with, suborbital with, space jump. Yeah. yeah. With Kelly and uh, a strike team to go down and and kick it. on Prime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and and by this point, when it's discovered that the weapon has been in, it is now in the hands of the Mocklins and the Krill. They basically the Union goes and says, "Hey, um, this isn't good for either of us. They will wipe you out because they don't care. They don't have that level of morals." Uh, and then we're on our own. So 
we need to work together and we can go and destroy this thing and then you can stop being dicks to us. And so the union comes in and starts picking a fight with these, uh, with the K- Mocklins and Krill who think, oh, we're going to wipe their, you know, wipe the, wipe them out of the sky. And then here come the Kalon. I'm like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck is going on? It's like, weren't we all on the other side of this battle at one point? Yeah. And so they do that. It was then, a little bit of whiplash. I mean, the episode did have a whiplash moment with that. That it probably should have been a two-parter, just because of how much they had crammed in there. It would have, I think, increased the gravitas a little bit. Or an hour and ten. It was long. It might have been a two-hour episode. I think about. I think it might have been like an hour and fifteen, or maybe an hour and twenty minutes. But needless to say. Yeah, an hour and 18 minutes. Yeah, it was two hours. I mean, basically, yeah. No, it wasn't an hour. It wasn't two hours. What the hell am I talking about? It was about? almost an hour and a half. Almost an hour and a half. Right. So, Which was, is a two-parter it, in regular TV speak. I know. Uh, but, you know, it, it was it was, it was was long. And then, you know, they can't turn off the machine so Charlie has to pull a data <laughs> from Nemesis. <laughs> or yeah. the Obi-Wan Kenobi sacrifice herself so others may live, including Isaac, who she has by this time has kind of had some grudging respect when she sees that Isaac is arguing against the Kalon in favor of the organics or biologics or whatever they call them. Yeah, meat bags. Like the meat bags. Might as well just say that. <laughs> Trying no, to the door meat bag. And I gotta say, and this is where one other parallel between Strange New Worlds and New Horizons is: we lost Hammer in the penultimate episode of Strange New Worlds, which was ten episodes yeah. long. He and was we lost character. Charlie Burke. They were both good characters, obviously. I mean, actually, you could look at Hemmer as being insubordinate with the way he talked to everyone. Um, he didn't really mouth off to Pike. No, true. He was a he bit of an... And he was in a command position. One. Um, But, like, he and Una were basically the same rank anyway. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it back. He was just an asshole. He, so. was, he was a smart ass. <laughs> I really a smart liked, asshole. I, I really liked his relationships with Spock and his relationship with Uhura, but we've already discussed that. Um, Charlie, Charlie had the skills Charlie to Burke. back. She had the skills to back up her at, the attitude, and she did die a hero's death, and basically made a point that she might not like Isaac, but basically, I think she got to the point where she respected him. Yeah. And that was very. And she used him as a way of. She basically said, "Yeah, well, he found a way to change you, bastard," you know. Yeah. And so, she kind of accepted that Isaac was trying to atone for everything, and it was fairly fitting that he gave the eulogy. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, the the Kalon become like probationary members of the union at the end which is still kind of like gunboat diplomacy they're like you can join and be like a probationary 
but if you prove not prove not to be douchebags, then you can become full members. I'm surprised they're like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but they're machines. They don't have the emotion. Well, you know, I mean, they, they work in that binary concept. It all, all it really was was Bruce back. We needed a little bit more Bruce. I, I really wish he had just popped up to the Krill and the Mocklins and said, get the hell out of our galaxy. <laughs> oh, boy. So with that being said, we get to the last episode. Which plays off of. The last episode is actually pretty, pretty mild. All things being said and done. Um, but it plays off of episode seven from Unknown Graves, where we saw the the history of the Krill. I'm not the Krill, the um, Kalon, and how they were abused by their makers. That one was and it was kind of rough too. That was a rough one. Well, I mean, we saw an entire family get killed as a parable for the entire civilization destroyed. Yeah, and no hiding the child murder there either. No. You're right. They're, they're, that's true. They actually showed child murder with the camera looking at K1. Oh, that was awful. Um, but in that episode, we got to see one of the original Kalon being salvaged and learn and being reprogrammed for emotion. And we got to see him interact with Isaac. And they were able to finagle Isaac to be able to feel emotion. And then here's the tragedy. He felt the emotion, but it overloaded his basic circuitry. Um, but he at least got to express to Claire how much he feels for her, how different his view, uh, view is of her for that one moment. And then it was gone. And that was the tragedy. But in the end... And here's here's the subtlety about Isaac, because all of his actions in this in the season. I always was like, mm, he doesn't have emotion. I'm pretty sure he does have like some kind of bond or some kind of loyalty, which is an emotion in and of itself. Right. That was data, too, though. Yeah, absolutely. But it was it was so brilliantly subtle. I liked that. And then, you know, Isaac proposes to um, Claire. All right. Claire, uh, thank you. Cassidy Yates. Not Cassidy. Not Cassidy. She's an actress, and her character is Claire. <laughs> but she, he proposes to her, you know, and you know, she eventually Cassidy accepts. was the character she played on Deep Space Nine, right? The actress, Emmy Johnson. Are you freaking kidding me? Yes, of course I do know that. I'm just making sure. I'm wondering if she's blacklisted over at CBS because of her affiliation with the Orville. Meh. And I maintain, meh. Meh, yeah. Anyway, that being said. She wouldn't be one of the main characters they would bring back first and foremost. No, you're you're correct in that, but I mean Tim Russ. Although they did bring Jonathan Frakes in to direct and everything, both Marina Orville. Service was in an episode of The Orville. Was she? As yeah. what? 
She was like the teacher before the the dude that Kelly started banging. First season? I think so. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that up. Dang. I I, I mean I I'm in the third episode of the first season, which yes is completely jarring from the third season. Um. Anyway, but I like to this. say. Needless to say, it we we're gonna have to power through this um, finale. Yeah, we're almost done. I liked it. I I liked that there wasn't any action. It did feel like a wrap up. Oh, there seemed to be a, a lot sense. of action with Bordas and Clyden. Yeah, yeah. that yeah, whole scene of then like mating chasing. Yeah, yeah, there was, and it was. Um, it was fun. <laughs> what would have been better, though, because there was some the way the way Bordis um, described it. He was they were both supposed to be naked, but they wore they wore girdles or whatever. Cod pieces. or jock strap cod pieces, jock straps or something. They should have just pixelated it all out. Like they could have done that, right? <laughs> And that would have been funny. You see a swinging pixelation in the running. Come on. Come on. Uh, whatever floats your boat, bro. I'm just saying that would have been funny. That would have been a nice callback to the first season. But anyway, I found I found the whole episode, the final episode to be very endearing and Eventually, Claire and Isaac marry, and <laughs> Isaac, Isaac invites, invites all of the K-Lon. entire Kalon <laughs> population, except for a skeleton crew for planetary defense. So, four thousand Kalon ships show up. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, how things have changed from the beginning of the season to that. And then Ed is like, and send message to the Union what's going on, because we don't want another Union ship to see this and, and freak out. Yeah. So. And then and then they go back to uh, a first season planet, the planet that was ruled by social media. If you got oh, yeah. more likes than, uh, if you got more dislikes than likes, uh yeah, the rule of mob. You're getting like lobotomized or then or or, or executed. Yeah. Or almost got executed because of that. <laughs> or Lamar. So the one the one girl, you know, the one token female that the space aliens like to show up to the primitive planet and beam aboard. Um per that trope. Yep. She's she swiped she somehow swiped a communicator and after two years fan managed to get a message to those <laughs> So yeah. she's like, uh, pick me up. And then they go no. through the whole prime the whole prime directive spiel with her. And and you're right. And I did find that frustrating. I understand what they were trying to do, but I found it frustrating as a science fiction fan. Because we've already heard all that. Like, we don't need to hear that again. Obviously, it was to develop the, that that girl's character and everything and make her realize, oh. More technology that's unearned will destroy my civilization, which we all know, but they had to do it anyway. Um, but Halston Sage coming back, 
as Lara. Yeah, she did that at the end of last season, too. I'm, I'm kind of curious why she left. It's been very clouded in mystery. And there was, I guess, did, did she date Seth MacFarlane? She did in the first season, and they stopped dating. And she also has some other projects, which well, they she ended used up doing whatever it was, Prodigal Son or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was able to. I mean, they basically let her go. And you're right; they're very hush hush about her situation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I like Tala. I, I felt Tala was a great uh, addition to the crew and everything. Yeah. But it was well, neat to I see Alara. When, when you worry about it's like, well, she's another Salayan. Okay, so is she going to be like the same character? <laughs> she was not. Older, she's a little more worldly. Alara was, she looked like. Pretty green. Yeah. And you're right. It is good to see her back. And, you know. And then we ended with Gordon singing to us. Was that an original song? He was singing James Taylor. It was James Taylor. That's what I thought. It was very, it was very James Taylor like. It was very, it was original when James Taylor sung it. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're going to have Gordon sing. I wonder what. Song that I don't know that they're saying. Oh, <laughs> James Taylor, this I know. Yeah. All right, you've got Dolly Parton and a James Taylor song. I need to buy that James Taylor well, song now. Well, well played. Seth yeah, played. <laughs> Both with acoustic guitar, by the way. <laughs> Both. No spring chickens who who can still sing. Yeah, that is true too. So. I'm kind of curious if this Lacella character is going to, if there is a season four, be a member of the crew. Um, that's a good question. I didn't think about it like that. She very well could. Like a kind of Charlie Filler slash Wesley Crusher kind of thing. I mean, she's so, she's shown growth in realizing the error of her planet's ways, but she also has a lot to learn, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, but she went. She went to a an android human wedding. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I don't know, and my big fear is we'll never know, uh, because it honestly it felt like a finale. Not a season finale, but a series finale. And all I can say is, like, uh, you know, to our audience out there, all of our one fan, or two fans, because we both listen to this, um, just watch it. Watch the Orville on Disney+. Plus. I mean, show Disney how important the show is to all of us. It's a really good sci-fi epic. And it's a great answer to Paramount Plus. Uh, I mean, it's a great way to get subscribers and and keep subscribers. As opposed to what Paramount Plus has done so far. Which I know they're working on redemption and everything. And it feels like a cheap shot, what I'm saying. But I'm 
if you want the Orville to live, you gotta like just grab an old iPad and just play it and throw it in another room. <laughs> you know, and have it play all day. Just do that. That's all I care about. <laughs> I think it needs to end. So when Star Trek reboots Enterprise, Seth can come back and reprise his role. Oh, that would be sweet, right? Like there'd be some kind of temporal shift and that character in Enterprise would go into like a post-Voyager world or, or a current uh, Picard world where they actually are like, oh yeah, everything's better in Picard now. And uh, he actually interacts with Picard. <laughs> How great would that be? <laughs> He'd spend every hour kissing Patrick Stewart's ass. I know. I gotta say though, after after these last two seasons of Picard, it really has damaged my view of Picard in TNG. I mean, it's hard for me to explain, but I don't like the direction that Picard has gone, and it affects how I view the TV show. You know what I mean? Well, let me say this: if you don't like that, read the books. Read the books. Yeah. You read the books. Read the uh, whatever Star Trek Legends or whatever it is now. Oh Jesus! I'm not read gonna that, do that. Read that Destiny trilogy. I have the Destiny trilogy. I bought that. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. I think we need to wrap things up. It's late for you. It's getting late for me. Um. I already gave you my score of the Orville New Horizons. What's your give, ultimate verdict? I give it a, 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 a nine and a half out of ten, uh, a ninety-three percent, and a C minus. <laughs> How's that? Oh, how dare you! How dare you parody me? <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to give it a solid A. All right. Yeah. Um, easily a nine plus out of 10 uh, because most of the time it was pretty compelling. Most of the cast is likable. Um, obviously I, even if I didn't like it, I might've just watched it to get the one scene with Yafit just to get one more of my, one more <laughs> norm fix. You know, I think, I think what we need to discuss is why you like, Star Trek more than I like Star Trek, but I like the Orville more than you like the Orville. Which um, that's a discussion for another day. Well, we can't really go into it, but I mean, obviously. Oh, you mean the, the current here, iterations of Star Trek? Yes, yes. Which is, I mean, that's that's a discussion for another day, right? I just want Anson Mount's hair. Ah. <laughs> uh, we all could wish for that. <laughs> My forehead is just getting a also little bit bigger every day. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that being said, everyone, anything else you'd like to add, DT? By Riker's beard, I say we close. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, that brings us to the ultimate end. So 
follow us on at those sci-fi guys on twitter email us those sci-fi guys at gmail.com in the end you guys keep dreaming we'll keep working so long everyone until the next time and if you want to see a good look at the new horizon come join me on the high ground Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and PS McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow PS McKay on Twitter at PS McKay, or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information.